So as we are beginning today, our sermon series continuing on in the life of Peter. And uh, we've just been looking at various stories of Peter in the Gospels. And today we're going to look at the Gospel of John. And just kind of to set the stage where we are in this book, Jesus is back in Jerusalem for the last time. It's the last Passover that he's going to experience before he dies. And his public ministry has ended. And now he's moved into this private ministry with the community of followers that he loves, including Peter himself. And we're in this section in the Gospel of John where, as one writer puts, uh, we move out of the streets into the quiet of a room. So it's into this uh, quiet room, the upper room, that we have this interaction between Jesus and Peter that we're going to look at today. So this is in John 13, 1 through 10. I'm going to read that for us now. You can follow along your order of worship or just listen as I read. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that uh, we can hear from you today, whether we are in a need to be encouraged, whether we are in need to be challenged, whether we are in a need to find something to hold on to whether we are in a need to be reminded of your love. Wherever we are, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit that encourages, challenges, convicts, and brings us to your son Jesus, who we need completely. In your name, amen. So my oldest daughter is 23, and we were the first of all of our friends to start having children, and it was fun for us to watch as our friends began having kids to follow along with the joys and the struggles of being new parents. And one of my friends had a child about a year after Emily was born, and we were at their house a couple months after the child was born, and we were in his basement. And I noticed that he had a bunch of his CDs on the ground in these shelves. And I looked at him and I said, you know, you're going to eventually have to move those CDs. And he was like, why? And I'm like, well, once your daughter starts getting around, She's going to get into those CDs. It's going to cause a lot of chaos and mess. And and my friend was like, no, we'll just, if she does that, we'll tell her not to do that and it'll be fine. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. So, uh, you know, a couple months later, we're back at his house. We're in his basement. And the CDs are still in the shelf on the ground. But now he had attached some bungee cords to prevent his daughter from getting into the CDs. And I said to him, you know, that seems like a good option, but eventually that's going to be a problem. Like, she's going to get hurt, or she's going to be able to take the bungee cords off. And my friend was like, it'll be fine. And I was like, okay. 
Well, a few months later, uh, we went back to his house, and his CDs were still in the shelf, attached high up on the wall away from his daughter. And I thought, you know, this is a good illustration of not only this passage today, but what we've been looking at in this sermon series in Peter. So often, Peter doesn't get it, just like my friend did not get it. My friend thought he knew what was best and he was wrong, and often Peter thinks he knows what is best, and he doesn't. I mean, in the account I just read for us, Peter emphatically tells Jesus, you will never wash my feet. And then a few minutes later, turns around and says, give me a bath, Jesus. Wash everything. Peter keeps thinking he knows what's up. He keeps thinking he knows what to say and what to do around Jesus, and he is wrong. And Jesus keeps loving him. Jesus keeps working in and through him. Jesus keeps calling him to himself in a very gracious way. And Jesus does that for us as well today. One of the things I've really appreciated in the sermons that Pastor Aaron has been giving us in the life of Peter is he often mentions that we are like Peter. And so it is good that we can see how Jesus deals with Peter because he deals with us as well. It's good to see how Jesus deals with Peter's misunderstandings and mistakes because we are no different than Peter often. And I'm thankful that Jesus continues to keep loving us and working in and through us even when we, like Peter, think we know what's up and we don't. So we're going to jump into this passage and right at the very beginning we have these somber words in verse 1. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. What John is saying here is that Jesus knew he was going to die. That Jesus knew that the plan for the world, the only hope that the world had, centered around his own death. Jesus knows the deep pain and the hardship that was soon to come upon him. He knows that he's at the beginning of a long, slow buildup that will end with him on a cross. And what is Jesus thinking about at this time? What is the focus on Jesus during this time that he knows he's about to die? John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. Jesus loved his followers to the end. He loved them completely and finally to the uttermost unto death. Jesus loved them to the end. Love for his last breath, love to the highest intensity. Jesus loved him to the end, knowing what that love would cost him. You know, we haven't even gotten into the subject matter of Peter that I will get to in this sermon, but if you honestly only pay attention to one thing I say today, may it be this. Jesus has that same love for you right now. Jesus loves you with all your doubts and all your struggles, and all your questions, and all your failings. Jesus loves you way more than you will ever know, or ever believe, or ever understand. These are not just words to say in a sermon. These are words that we need to believe in our lives. I need to believe that Jesus deeply loves me. You need to believe that you are loved to the uttermost by Jesus. We're going to see this love played out in a moment with his disciples But before Jesus can model and illustrate this type of serving love he has for his children, we get a reminder of the evil and problems in the world in verse 2. Before we get to the sacrificial act of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, 
we hear about that the devil had already put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Evil creeps into the story when love is going to the limit. Evil is often present fighting against the love that God displays for his children. Evil is present while Jesus is loving his disciples to the end. And Jesus knows this. He knows that it looks like evil might be in control. He knows that evil at times looks like it's winning, that Satan has moved in for the kill. But Jesus also knows the greater truth that is recorded in verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. Jesus knows the full story. He knows that evil will not win. He knows that God has given him everything into his hands and that soon he will be back on the throne with his Father serving and ruling from heaven. And what does Jesus do with this knowledge? What does Jesus do with all this power and status that was at his disposal? He arose. He laid aside his outer garments. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And he began to wash the disciples' feet. Right after we read about the power and the status of Jesus about to return to his rightful place with his father, we read about Jesus taking on the outfit and the actions of a servant or slave. This task of foot watching was so menial that at times degrading that even the Jewish sources say that Jewish slaves were exempt from doing this job. And there are no instances in Jewish or Greco-Roman sources of a superior ever washing an inferior's feet. And yet here we see Jesus, towel in hand, washing the feet of his disciples. And I want you to think about how superior Jesus was to everyone else in that room. As I was working on this sermon, I found a quote from a 4th century bishop that I actually had Paul put in the beginning of our order of worship because I found it beautifully pictures what we're looking at today. He writes, he who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped round himself a towel. He who pours the water into rivers and pools tips some water into a basin. He who before every knee in heaven and on earth and under earth will bow, knelt to wash the feet of his disciples. <laughs> and who are these feet that Jesus washed? Well, he washed Judas' feet, the one who was soon to betray him. He washed Peter's feet, the one who was soon to deny him. He washed all the disciples' feet, the ones who ran from him when Jesus had a great need and was in pain. Jesus loved these disciples to the end, and he never gave up on them. He knows these disciples more than they even know themselves. In fact, he predicted about two of the disciples, Judas and Peter, and what they were going to do. He sees them in their worst possible light, and he still loves them and washes their feet. And this foot washing symbolizes the ultimate way that Jesus was willing to descend down to humanity to rescue us. He descended all the way down to dirty feet to serve humanity. John here is close to what the Apostle Paul was saying in our New Testament reading that Jay gave us in Philippians 2. Jesus made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus lays aside his clothes here in order to wash feet. The next time we read about his clothes being removed, it'll be when he is naked on the cross. 
And this is a beautiful story and an amazing picture of Jesus' love and service for us all mankind. And now it is at this point in the story where we finally get to Peter. Feet are being washed, and it looks like the disciples allow Jesus to wash their feet, but not proud to be humble, Peter. He knows what's up. Lord, do you wash my feet? In the original language, this uh, question he asked is of an emphatic unbelief in what he has seen. No way would he ever let Jesus wash his feet. And this objection is typical Peter that we've already looked at. He is bold. He is brash. He says what's on his mind. He thinks he knows what's up. But honestly, it's kind of understandable that he would believe that no master would ever wash the feet of a disciple, wash the feet of an inferior. The actions of Jesus did not make sense to Peter. No way should Jesus be embarrassing himself by being down there washing dirty feet. What is going on here? Well, Jesus, once again, was turning things upside down. The first shall be last. Whoever loses his life will find it. The one who serves is the one who becomes great in the kingdom of God. This washing of Jesus identifies himself again as a suffering servant, and there is a summon by Jesus to his followers to imitate this model, to see the example of him serving, and then go and serve likewise. This foot washing is far more than that for sure, and we will get to that in a minute. The point of this passage is not just about how we need to humbly serve one another, but Jesus does later in this chapter point to this and say, do likewise to your brothers and sisters. So before we jump into the deeper meaning of what's going on here, let's acknowledge, like Peter, that we at times find ourselves uncomfortable with the call of Jesus. Like Peter, we're uncomfortable with the way that Jesus often turns things upside down in his kingdom. Because to accept the act of Jesus here and ultimately on the death on the cross is to see that the world's concept of significance of status, of power, is false. And and Peter right here is not ready to accept that. And are we any different? (laughs) Are we any different than how Peter responds to Jesus here? Because if we are honest, if I am honest, success, power, status, significance are worthy of my attention way more than service and humility and being uncomfortable for the sake of others. So we do need this example of Jesus to grow in our humble service towards others in our lives. We do need to remember this picture of Jesus down by the feet of his disciples, washing them as a reminder of maybe what God is calling us to serve, who God is calling us to serve right now. We need to believe that following Jesus means we follow him in serving and loving others. And this is all true. And I hope this example of Jesus could challenge all of us to be people that look out for others more than our own needs. But this foot washing is more than an example to follow. In fact, I think it is an ultimate subversion of all human power and authority that Jesus disarmed and triumphed on the cross is seen in the symbolic action of the foot washing. I believe we see this because of the response that Jesus gives to Peter when he says, are you washing my feet? Peter says, do you wash my feet? And Jesus responds, what I am doing, you do not understand, but afterwards, you will. 
What Jesus is saying is Peter will not understand what is going on in this action until Jesus' horrible death, amazing, incredible resurrection, and ultimately the promised, clarifying work of the Holy Spirit that will come into Peter's life to help him understand this more. This foot washing must be seen through the lens of Jesus' ultimate washing, his sacrificial death that cleanses all our sins. And Peter doesn't see it. In fact, he doubles down. You shall never wash my feet, Jesus. So Jesus responds, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I do not wash you, Peter, you are not with me. If I do not wash you, Peter, you are with the world. And these words to Peter are words for all of us today as well. If Jesus does not wash us clean, we have no help. If we do not accept the cleansing action of Jesus here, which has the full consummation at the cross and the resurrection, we do not share with Jesus. And this is an amazing offer that Jesus gives, and I know many of you have claimed this truth to be true, that you need it to be washed, and that many of you have been cleansed by the work of Jesus on your behalf, and that is such good news. But it's safe to say that some of you might struggle with feeling too humble or too unworthy to receive Jesus' offer and cleansing today. Perhaps your life is full of so much guilt and shame that you only think of yourself as dirty. Some of you maybe today or for a long time believe that what you have done or who you are makes you too unclean or too unworthy for Jesus. Some of you might think if anyone in this room actually knew who I was, if they actually knew what I did, if they actually knew my struggles, they wouldn't want to be my friend, they wouldn't accept me, they wouldn't love me, they would not be around me. And I got to tell you that when it comes to people in your life, what you believe might sadly be true. You might have people that won't accept you. You might have people, if they really knew you, would judge you. But I have to tell you, That is not true about Jesus and how he responds to you. Jesus knows you. He sees you. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you, and he still offers a cleansing work for you. No one is beyond the cleansing love of Jesus. No one is beyond the cleansing love of Jesus. And there are some of you in this room that don't struggle that way. You struggle the opposite way. You, you, You don't necessarily feel like you're not unworthy. You actually feel kind of proud that, you know, you don't really need Jesus' help. Maybe you don't really think you need, at least as much as other people do, the cleansing work of Jesus. You compare yourself to others, or what we do often is we compare ourselves to the standard of goodness that we have set up for ourselves, and we think, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. I don't really need that cleansing. Or maybe you think you're clean because of all the things that you do so well. Maybe you think you're clean because you're really good at doing religious things. You're really good at serving God and serving others, and so you don't really need this cleansing work that Jesus offers. And so if that's you, maybe today all you need to hear is these words of Jesus again. If I don't clean you, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. None of us in this room can clean ourselves. None of us in this room have the ability to make us clean. So some of us maybe feel too unworthy of God's love and we avoid it because we don't think we deserve it. Some of us feel too proud 
that we don't need God's love because we think we've got it all together. And many of us kind of go back and forth between these two. And it's kind of like how Jesus responds to Jesus, or how Peter responds closely to Jesus. We're kind of like that. In one moment we say, you know, you'll never wash me. And the next moment we'll say, hey, wash everything about me, give me a bath. And once again, Jesus graciously responds to Peter's clueless response with an amazing promise of the gospel. In verse 10, he says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. What Jesus is saying is that every disciple in that room, except Judas, who never accepted the cleansing work of Jesus, they are clean. Peter and the disciples sit at the table of Jesus clean. Not because they purified themselves or made themselves worthy of this privilege. And they are not just clean because Jesus washed their feet. They're clean because Jesus is about to die on the cross to take care of all of their sin. And we, so many years after this account, we, so many years after Jesus washed the feet, can know that we are clean and that we get to go in a moment to this table of grace and see and believe that we are loved, that we are clean, and that we are washed free of our sins. We cannot do this ourselves. It's not because we're worthy of it. It's all because of God's grace. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in the letter to Titus, and as I end my sermon, I want to remind us of these wonderful words of truth for those of us who believe in Christ. Paul says, Jesus saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. May we believe these words today. We are washed free. We are regenerated because of the work of Jesus and him alone. And may you know how loved you are that Jesus would be willing to do that for you and for me. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. We thank you for all the ways that he shows us your love. Ultimately, as he went to the cross because we needed it. Father, may we believe the truth that you set us free from our sins and we are not worthy and that you have done everything we need so that we then in turn can respond to you in worship and in service and in loving you and in loving our neighbors as ourselves. May we do that more because of all you've done for us. In your holy name, amen.